I appreciate this sermon series that we've launched into talking about what we believe and just even going into a little bit of the Apostles' Creed, that third stanza that we've been focusing in on. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Preach about that on Good Friday. That's very fitting. The resurrection of the body. You heard about that last Sunday on Easter. Starting, of course, with Christ, but also continuing in with us. And today we turn our attention to life everlasting. This concept of eternal life is something that you find in both Testaments. You find it all throughout the scriptures. So forgive me if I'm, it's a little bit ironic this morning that we're going to start on pretty much exactly the opposite side of the spectrum here. I wanted to begin with one of what you could say is the worst moments of humanity. Don't worry, we'll get, we'll get to the good stuff. But first we have to go to a place of pain. August 6, 1945, 8.15 in the morning, the United States bombed Hiroshima in Japan. The atomic bomb attack on Hiroshima, it was, I don't think it's a stretch to say, one of humanity's worst moments, even though it did bring about an end, ultimately, to World War II. Just a few quick notes about that moment. In that moment, when the atomic bomb went off, 70,000 people lost their lives. By the time 1945 ended, that number grew to over 140,000 dead as a result of the fallout, the injuries sustained, and the radiation from that bomb. It was a 15 kiloton bomb, which by today's standards with nuclear and hydrogen bombs is not all that impressive. But the force of that blast is unlike anything that had been unleashed on this earth until that moment. The equivalent of 16,000 tons of TNT were unleashed in that city. Before the war, that city was about 350,000 in its population. From ground zero, everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything, within a mile of the blast radius, was simply destroyed completely. The blast registered 10,830 degrees Fahrenheit, which, I'm not exactly a scientist, but from what I have heard, that is somewhat around the equivalent of the temperature of the sun itself. And the resulting firestorm went out two miles in its diameter, consumed so much of that city. The devastation that was unleashed upon Hiroshima in that moment was by all counts, death personified. Just a, a few pictures, don't worry, no humans here, but just a few pictures of what you can see is the devastation of that atomic bomb blast. I wanted to show you just a few of the many that you can find that exist out there. You see the city is just completely leveled. There's nothing left of it. This, this picture right here, we're going to stop in on. The, I hope you can see the detail here. The picture on the left is the city just zeroed in before that atomic bomb went off. And this picture on the right, you can see in contrast, is just complete and utter devastation. Death. But today, 
You travel to Hiroshima today, you see the city is completely transformed and restored and life has come back. I just have one more picture here. You can see the detail. You can see the map. You see where the rivers went and how that city has completely returned. And there are many, many, many more images that you can find. I encourage you to Google them later on and just see for yourself how life has returned. The population of Hiroshima now is well over a million people. Went from 350,000 losing 140,000 to now well over a million. Why am I going here to start this message on eternal life? I believe there's an important message that you'll hear reverberating throughout this sermon. And that is from death comes life. And Hiroshima is just a, a powerful visual demonstration of this. It, looked, it was a complete wasteland in the aftermath of that bombing. But from the death of Hiroshima, the bombing site, comes life. And that city is now buzzing with life. The city now, today, represents, it's a symbol, international symbol of peace. And rightly so. From death comes life. This is the story of humanity. It's the story of each and every single one of us individually. And appropriately enough, what we just went through, what we just celebrated last week, throughout Holy Week, from death comes life. You go through a Good Friday moment, and just to pause there, just to allow yourselves to absorb that again. Jesus Christ died on a cross. The Savior of all mankind voluntarily went to that cross to die the death that we should have died to absorb our sins and take that upon himself. And from his death comes, well, resurrection life as we celebrated just last Sunday on Easter. We don't just celebrate the resurrection of Christ as if we needed more. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he is alive, gives us resurrection life. From death comes life. This is our story. So we just sang, this is our song. This is the blessed assurance that we have that the Bible teaches us that there is more to this life than the years that we live on this planet. Eternal life is promised to each and every single one of us. In fact, as we'll see later on, it's a gift that God provides for us. And the way that was opened was through the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm going to take you to a few different scriptures from the New Testament that illustrate this point, this truth, the reality of eternal life and what it means for us. Because it's, if you're anything like me, it's sometimes hard to conceive of eternal life when we are just going through the grind of daily life here. Eternal life seems so far out there. Eternal life seems like that, that goal that we all strive for when we die. And rightly so, it is that. But as you'll see, there's so much more to it. Colossians chapter three, verses two and four. Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Those verses illustrate this point, from death comes life. You see that contrast there. Paul is speaking not in terms of that future that awaits us necessarily. He's calling out a fact that has already happened. You, Christian, you have died but you are also made alive in Christ. That theme runs all throughout the New Testament. We see it here in Colossians. And Colossians does talk about that future glory that we wait for, that everlasting life that we conceive of in heaven. But it also talks about eternal life beginning now. Romans chapter six, verse four, the apostle Paul is going through an illustration of baptism and the power and the symbolism of baptism. And he speaks these words. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. From death comes life. And just quickly, you've heard us speak about this before. The power of baptism symbolizes from death comes life. As we go into the waters of baptism, we are identifying with the death of Christ and we come up from the waters of baptism, it symbolizes in every beautiful and powerful way the resurrection life that exists for us when we put our faith in Christ. When we're baptized into him, we experience from death comes life. Yes, it does exist out there in the future. It is an eternity that awaits us but it begins now. Another verse. One more verse here. Actually, two more. Galatians chapter 2. This one is one of my favorite, most powerful verses in all of the Bible. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In this verse, the Apostle Paul just doesn't talk about from death comes life. He goes very specific. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And notice the word usage there, I have been, not will be, not future tense out there will experience this someday when God calls me home. We know as believers in Christ, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the old self is gone, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, and the new has come. That old sinful spirit that we were born with and born into, that original sin that scars each and every one of us in humanity, that part of us dies, not that we are made perfect. As Paul describes later on, In another letter, Philippians, not that I've been made perfect, not that I've already obtained all of this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also taken hold of me. Eternal life begins now. The life that I live in the body, I live in faith by the Son of God. That old self that's put to death is given 
new life by the Holy Spirit of God becoming alive inside of me. That is the faith that Paul talks about in this verse in Galatians. Oh, just wait. Someone, testify, someone give an amen. The life I now live in the body, I live in faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. The Holy Spirit of God resides in me, even in the midst of my sinfulness still in this life. I have not been made perfect, but God has set eternity in my heart so that the Holy Spirit guides me, directs me, leads me. The Holy Spirit has changed me. The Holy Spirit has given me eternal life. One more verse, one more. Pastor Paul already referenced it. Just allow these familiar words to be absorbed again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the promise of scripture. This is the promise of the gospel this is why John 3.16 is so well known because it encapsulates so much of the power of the gospel. And those final words in that verse, just to highlight them, eternal life. This is not just some creation of ours that we like to, to conceive of that gives us hope that maybe there is something beyond this life. It is part of the promise of scripture. And the, the Greek word there is aeon. And aeon means eternal. Now, there are those that would say that the word aeon here in the Greek has multiple meanings and they'd be right. There are those who would like you to believe that aeon is not talking about heaven. It's not talking about an eternal life beyond this one. It's just talking about an age, a gap of time, a period of time, or even an abundant life. In that context, that John 3.16 would be read well, a little bit differently, wouldn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Let the enormity of that absorb. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have an abundant life or a long life or a life well lived. No, that is not the context or the meaning or how the Greek word aeon is predominantly used in the New Testament. That word directly communicates to us that there is a life beyond this one and that the promise of the gospel, that the power of the Holy Spirit, is that we would all live that eternal life, beginning in this life and continuing into the next, is one of the great promises of the Bible and part of the foundation of the gospel, and it is what we believe. A few things I want us to learn here. First is that eternal life begins in this life, as we've said, but also eternal life is perfected in the next life. Now, before we get into another scripture for us that we're gonna dive into, if you're following along in your Bibles, we're gonna, in a moment, we're gonna dig into Revelation chapter 21. Now from John 3.16 to Revelation 21, kind of a lot happens. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection opens the door for eternity to begin. The church age begins and happens in the book of Revelation, takes us on a wild apocalyptic journey 
through not just the church age, but how this age will come to its conclusion, come to its end. And you've got everything from bowls and trumpets and seals and false prophets and antichrists and dragons. Oh, Revelation is a wild ride. And Revelation connects with so many other parts of the Bible as well. And it all fits. Boy, I'm giving you this lightning speed overview of apocalyptic literature. It all fits into this final moment. However you can interpret the events of Revelation, the tribulation and pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, however you want to do all of that, it all culminates in this moment of eternity beginning, aeon, an eternal life. So when we speak of life eternal, yes, Eternal life begins here and now, but it is perfected in the life to come. So let me just read to you the first four verses of Revelation chapter 21. This is John trying his best to capture this vision that God is giving him specifically about something that is truly indescribable. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the beginning, a new beginning of an eternity that God has in store for us. It begins now and then is perfected at the renewal of all things in Revelation 21. There's so much to unpack with these few verses and I'm just gonna scratch the surface with you now. The first thing I want you to see from these verses is that there is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem that are initiated that God ordains, that God brings into reality. And it's important for us to call this out, that eternity is a new creation, not just clouds and harps, we all have this image in our head, whether it's a caricature or drawings or cartoons or whatever, about what heaven might be like. And there's us on a cloud playing a harp and just in this eternal bliss of nothingness almost. Oh, it's so much more than that. I don't know if they're gonna be clouds. I don't know if we're gonna be playing harps. But I do know that God brings about everything new. There's a new heaven because the old heaven has passed away, as Revelation 21 says. Think about this. There's a new earth. Sometimes we conceive of heaven only as up there and not renewed here. This is after, oh, after the abyss and the millennium and the judgment. All of that happens in Revelation. And then there's a new earth because the old one has passed away. That's a lot to absorb. 
And then there's more. There's a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven as a bride adorned, prepared for her husband. Beautiful imagery there. But what I believe John is witnessing is he's seeing heaven and earth merging as one as God is taking new Jerusalem and Jerusalem is always representative of the holy city, God's dwelling place, literally and figuratively. Since this new Jerusalem descends onto earth in a real way, there's a new creation that unfolds. That's the beginning of eternity. It's so much more than clouds and harps. But it's also important to understand that this new Jerusalem comes down to this new earth. The renewal of all things. And what does that tell us? What does that represent? The next thing I want you to see is that God's dwelling place will be with humanity. We've seen this in both Testaments already. It's how, it's, it's how both Testaments begin, if you think about it. God's dwelling with humanity itself. It started in the Garden of Eden as God was with Adam and with Eve before we messed that up royally. And then we had 30 years or so of the Word becoming flesh and what? Making his dwelling among us. We had that 2,000 years ago. And even for those short bursts of time, it was a glimpse into what awaits us in eternity. It's something that we can't fully wrap our minds around, that the very dwelling place of God will be with humanity. We will be his people. He will be our God. You see there, there's this truth of God's dwelling place. If, if you read through the contours of scripture, just a quick overview, God's actual physical dwelling place moves from tabernacle to the temple, to the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us, to the church age, which is now. The dwelling of God is with humanity. We experience this now in a spiritual sense. We have the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts and our souls. This is not wishful thinking or just Christian speak. This is reality for those of us that are in Christ, that have received him as Lord and Savior, that have confessed him with our mouth and believe him with our hearts. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. God has made his dwelling right here. But then, at the renewal of all things in Revelation 21, we are told that it's Beyond all of that, it's this physical dwelling in this new creation. In a way, you could say it is Eden restored. As if original sin never happened. That is an eternity worth waiting for. This is the one more thing I want you to see about this passage. Is that what eternal life does, it banishes a few things and it is called out in these verses here. And I'm gonna read these to you and I'm gonna just challenge you. Just close your eyes. I want you to try to absorb the enormity of this. What this will be like is if we can possibly imagine eternal life will banish. There will be no more tears. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. 
There'll be no more crying unless there are tears of joy. And there'll be no more pain. I don't know if, maybe it's just me. I cannot fully absorb what that would feel like and what the experience of that will be like. But folks, that's what awaits us in this new creation that God is going to unleash as heaven comes down to earth and all things are made new. This is what we have to look forward to. Can I have another amen? This is what heaven is like. Heaven is the absence of every hurt, the absence of every pain, the absence of every tear, every death, every tragedy, every suffering, and every fear will be gone in heaven. These are not just wishful words. This is the truth of the Bible, what it teaches us. Heaven is the constant presence and worship of him. And no, that will not be boring. I think sometimes we think monotonous, like, really? I'm going to worship God all the time? It's going to be one long church service that never ends? It's going to be so much more than that. But again, we, our minds cannot fully conceive of what it will, the experience will be like to be constantly in the presence of God and to have his dwelling with us. This is the eternal life that awaits us. This is what heaven is. How are we doing? Are we feeling pretty good right now? You feeling pretty hopeful right now? Good, because I'm about to blow all that up. Just as true and real as all of that is, there's also another side to the story that the Bible teaches us. And this is another sermon unto itself, but let me quickly go there. Hell. Hell is the presence of every hurt, every pain, every tear, every death over and over again, every tragedy, every bit of suffering, and every fear is constantly present, wailing, gnashing of teeth in hell. It's a real place. Hell is the complete absence of the presence and worship of God. And just as real as heaven is, as we've just described it, the Bible is also clear about hell. Now I know, in certain places in scripture, and I'm restraining myself because there's another sermon at play here. Hell is talked about as, the Greek word is Gehenna, and it's referring to a physical space. It's actually referring to a, a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And this garbage dump was, had an eternal fire always burning. And without going into too much detail, it wasn't just refuse that was placed there. Horrible, disgusting things were placed in that burning fire outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. That is talked about in the Bible. But hell is a real place. That's not the only context. Gehenna is not the only use of the word hell that we read here. Hell is a real place and it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be understood and it needs to be absorbed by us that the good news is the good news because it saves us from the bad news. And the bad news is this. I'll let 
the Apostle Paul speaking in from Romans chapter 6. You'll see that here. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, there it is again, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see it, death and life, that constant relationship and those things held in tension. From death comes life. And to quickly unpack this familiar verse for many of us, what we earn from our sin is death. And that's not just talking about a physical death, it's talking about that spiritual death, the second death, hell itself. But Pastor Mike, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? He doesn't. We were all worthy of it, all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has walked away from the truth of God and pursued our own way, our own desires, our own path. Every one of us have sinned. And it's because of that, that's what we earn, our wages. What we earn from that sin is eternal death. Just as much as it's hard to conceive of the glory and majesty and amazing experience of what it will be like to physically be in the presence of God for eternity. We also cannot fully conceive of what it would be like, the experience of spending an eternity without God's presence with us. Hell is just as real as heaven. But the second half of that verse is what we're gonna focus on here. The gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ, our Lord. From death, his death, comes life, eternal life. There is a reality at play here. There is a, a life beyond this one that exists for every single human being. The question is, where are you gonna spend it? The gift of God was paved in his blood by his death, his sacrificial death on that cross to give us life. Heaven is a real place, but we don't have to wait until we die to begin to experience it. It begins now. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in this body, I live by faith in the son of God who died for me, who gave his life for me. That's our story. But I also recognize that maybe there are some people here today that that's not your story yet. You've never experienced that. And you, maybe your eyes are just being open to the reality that there is a life beyond this one. Eternal life is promised to every one of us. It's just a matter of where you're gonna spend it. And if you're just wrestling with that now, if you're just beginning to absorb the enormity of that now, you need to understand that there is this gift that is promised to us of eternal life. And there's only one way to experience that gift. And it is John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans chapter 10. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. God offers this free gift to all of us. And the reason why this is possible is because of what we just walked through last week, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That resurrection power is still at work, always will be, and he offers it to you. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray. I invite the worship team to come on up and to lead us in, in another song of worship. But if you've never accepted the enormity of eternal life, and now your eyes may be open to the fact that I am destined to spend an eternity apart from God, I want you to pray with me as I close this sermon out. And I want you to change your reality and I want you to change your eternity because that's the gift of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, you promise each and every one of us eternal life. Thank you for this gift of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for going to the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. The great God of the Bible who offers eternal life and I know that I cannot enter into that eternal life with you unless I go through Jesus. So Lord, take this sinful life of mine and wipe it clean. I recognize and I call out this truth that from death comes life and I offer you myself. Would you just destroy the sinful life of mine? I don't wanna live it anymore. And I give myself to you, my soul and my spirit itself. And I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to spend eternity with you. I give you myself, commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never gone to that place before and prayed a prayer like that before, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. After the service concludes in just a few minutes time, I want you to find me right here at the front of the, front of the sanctuary. I just wanna have a conversation with you and I wanna talk more about this prayer that you just prayed. But now, church, I invite you to stand and worship as we sing to him.